Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 57, Street Kings from 2008. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today we have Mike Flynn. Hi, Mike. People keep asking me if, uh, you know, I was going to come back to the show when I didn't really have an answer. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking I'm back. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here to talk about Street Kings. I was telling Mike that before we started recording, I keep wanting to call it Street Night, which is a movie that I'd much rather be watching than this. It's a more entertaining movie than Street Kings. Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different movie, but you guys didn't really, you didn't, this wasn't really for you. I didn't like this movie. Really? Okay. I have not seen this since 2008 in its initial release. Oh my god, okay. I remember enough of it and enough elements of it to give it a fair shake. So did you see it in the I theaters? I saw this in the theater. I saw it with my cousin. One night, it was Saturday, we were going to go see it, but then it was sold out. But then I saw it on a Wednesday night, and I saw that, Okay. I saw Forgetting Sarah Marshall. What did you think of Street Kings when you saw it in 2008? I remember enjoying it. I am a sucker for a good cop movie. And that's David Ayer's bread and butter, and that's something that I am really hoping to talk about, is the director of that movie. Who, surprisingly, did not write this. No. Uh, It was written by three people, one of whom is writing Ghost in the Shell, which, as we record this, is coming out tomorrow. A second person wrote the Total Recall remake, as well as the Point Break remake. And then the third guy wrote L.A. Confidential. Don't not Kurt Wimmer because he also wrote and directed the Brian Bosworth classic One Tough Bastard aka One Man's Justice that's a good movie I recommend you watch that and he also did Equilibrium lest we forget it's like The Matrix meets Fahrenheit 451 and it's very foreboding and I just remember like Christian Bale gun foo it's The Matrix meets Fahrenheit 451 so Street Kings, directed by David Ayer of Fury and End of Watch and Suicide Squad. So here, here's the reason I didn't like the movie is because I think I think I guessed the twist as it happened. And I'm not sure if I'm right or not, because this movie is such where the twist, the ultimate twist is everybody in the city is apparently a cop and everybody's a crooked cop. Like, even the drug dealers are former cops. Like, they're, they're undercover L.A. Well, sheriff's that's what people. you get when so, David Ayer and James Elroy join forces, as much as James Elroy's original idea was rewritten. And the thing that kills me is that I remember when this came out, it was kind of like a wet fart when it got released, because there was a lot of hype around it when it was originally being made. Like, I think the late 90s they were discussing this, and Oliver Stone was attached to it at one point. Spike Lee was going to do it at one point. And I think throughout the development, or at least most of it, Keanu Reeves was going to be the lead. I can't believe this movie is almost 10 years old. Actually, at times, it kind of felt like a movie that could have made it could have been made 10 years before it was made, like in the late 90s at times. But um, I, I, I can't believe, like, I, I actually really enjoyed this movie and I had seen it before and I knew the twist and I I didn't really get the twist the first time but the second time I knew it and I felt like the movie did a good job of weaving the mystery along or the plot and the intrigue and stuff and I think it worked well because Keanu worked well in this role 
And I also think maybe some of the hype possibly is because Ayo wrote Training Day and this was coming out and it looked kind of like a Training Day 2 or along the lines of that same underworld of CD cops. and. It was a return to form. And he had also – this was his second movie, David Ayer's director, because he had done Harsh Times – an underrated movie that not a lot of people watched with Christian Bale, and it was released like a year and a half after Batman Begins, and it got dumped in theaters, and it's a very unpleasant, grim film where he's just a bad, bad guy in L.A., and David Ayer loves his L.A. street talk. He loves his L.A. street talk. And I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with him. I think End of Watch is brilliant. I think Fury is very classy and it's a little over long but it's overall a very good movie sabotage was a botched effort to give arnold schwarzenegger an unforgiven or copland type moment but street kings it's a good b movie that has a level aspirations because you have to think about it at the time that you had this great famous writer in james elroy who had contributed the script and you had ayer doing this as a director and it had a spring release which was hmm, whatever but the cast like keanu was fronting it and forrest whitaker had just won an oscar chris evans at the time was an up-and-comer he wasn't captain america yet yeah this is this is between fantastic four and captain america chris evans it's before scott pilgrim which was where i really became a fan of him hugh laurie was in it and oh look it's the guy from the hot tv show that everybody loves and he's grumpy and he's basically just playing house as a cop in internal affairs, busting everybody's balls. No, but he's not, though. And let's slow down a little bit. Let's break this down one thing at a time, because Hugh Laurie is not house, because house is likable. This guy is not likable. There's nothing about him that's likable. He's just... He's internal affairs. Yeah, he's the the captain in internal affairs. But he's a good guy after bad guys. And you're saying he's a bad guy because in a cop movie, internal affairs is always... No, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying his character's not likable. There's nothing to him... Right, but there's nothing to him that's likable. There's not, There's there's no characters in this movie that are likable. No. Well, I think we're seeing this film through the Keanu character's eyes the entire movie, which and he lives in a very sort of dark and nasty world. I remember the opening scene of that movie very well. Again, haven't seen this in nine years, but I remember the opening scene. There's not a lot of dialogue. He goes in, he shoots these guys, and you're thinking because it's Keanu Reeves, he's shooting them and they're bad guys and Keanu Reeves shot him. Hey, look. And then he does something. No dialogue, complete, pure visual storytelling. He puts his gun in the one guy's hand and fires it at the wall. That always stuck with me. And I'm like, okay, this guy's got baggage and it's not a flat out villain role like Keanu Reeves has done in the past but he's playing a very morally ambiguous character again he's trying to do denzel in training day or something like that i wrote down he is the dark agent utah in this movie basically is what i wrote down i mean when the the opening scene is him waking up which reminded me of the matrix because he wakes up with the with the alarm but he sleeps with a gun and like this gun for the first couple shots of the film is like not out of his hand for a minute. Like, he brushes his teeth, he's got the gun, he cleans the gun, he goes to the car, he's got the gun and everything. So I'm thinking, yeah, this, I don't even know at first if he's a cop. 
you don't know if he's a cop right off the no, bat. Right. And then you go and he makes this deal. He's selling a machine gun to two guys. Yeah, I thought he was like a drug dealer at first. And then I was like, maybe he's an undercover cop. And then he's actually a cop. And then... And then he follow, He Yeah, he basically gets them to take a baited car and follows them back to their hideout and unleashes oh, fury God, on them. Oh, God, it's so <laughs> convoluted. And Ayer is a master at, at convoluted. Did you see Suicide Squad? Oh, it's a little, it's a little bit because... I mean, all it is is he's hiding a tracer in the car and getting them to take it, and so he can follow them back. And all of it is just he's been undercover trying to make a deal with right. these guys, and he's playing like a real racist asshole. Konnichiwa. What? Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa means what's up. So what the fuck's up? We know what it means. So you got the shit or not? Yeah. You? Fuck is this? We said a machine gun. It is a machine gun. Kind you can carry. Couldn't get none of those. This baby's got character. Korean War vintage. Maybe even mowed down one of your grandpapa-sons when he was charging the wire at Inchon. Kanichiwa's Japanese. It's insulting to Koreans. How am I supposed to tell if you can't? Fuck's that supposed to mean, white boy? It means you got eyes like apostrophes. You dress white, talk black, and drive Jew. So how am I supposed to know what kind of zipperhead dog munching dink you are if you don't? Yo. Do you know who the fuck we are? Yeah. A couple panheads buying a machine gun out of my trunk. Yeah, so that's the whole thing. He's, like, getting these guys to take the car and to beat them up and everything. And I thought that was a good play on a familiar scene, you know? I mean, that's nothing original, necessarily, but it's a good way to introduce your character as a total badass when he follows him back to the house, like, shoots everybody with no warrant yep. or anything, and you find out that they're, you know, human traffickers. So, like, yeah, he is breaking the law doing his job, but he's he's like a savior guy, right? Like, he's right. saving these actual people. So it kind of balances... I remember... Many years ago, one of my close friends was working at a video store in Queens, and a woman comes in with her son. And she's like, what do you recommend that's good? And my friend was on a kick at the time, and Eric's like, uh, rent Cliffhanger, but it's rated R. Oh, but it, 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 it's safe for him. Do people die in it? Well, yeah, it's an action movie. Are they bad people? Do they deserve to die? Well, yes. Okay, we'll rent that. That's kind of what Keanu Reeves is doing. He's killing bad people. Yeah, he's killing bad people, but he's also... I mean, he's doing what he's doing because he doesn't trust anybody, right? Like, that's what it comes down right. to. Well, he's part of this, like, again, like, he's part of this vice squad that has carte blanche around the city. Like, they they could basically do whatever they want somehow. You know, they've got protection. They've got Forrest Whitaker kind of right. protecting them and talking his way out of all their screw-ups when they screw up. Like, this situation. Like, everyone's glad that he got the job done. They're just pissed at the way he got it done because he doesn't follow the rules. You know, he doesn't follow the letter. You know, it's, he's kind of like the Jack Bauer of the L.A. gang scene. L.A. Times front page tomorrow is going to say, Vice Detective Rescues Missing Twins. Detective. Singular. Yeah, like we've been sitting around on our ass doing jack shit in our unit hey, for last month. you two cut the shit. The boss is on his way right I now. I mean, you could have just saved some for us, huh? I did do a solid, you Santos. Solid. You want to see their faces every night? Want to be a killer? You know what? Shut the fuck up. Hey, hey, what the hell is going on? Hey, this is real professional. What if I walked in here with the chief, huh? Yeah, I, I, they're not good 
people per right. se. Like Keanu's character, he's an alcoholic, right. you know, like he's drinking on the job. I don't think they're trying to say this is a good guy. I think they're just trying to say no. he's like this hero cop with with a lot of bad background and he's a loose cannon and they he's kind of like a weapon, right? Like Forrest Whitaker just kind of aims him in a certain direction and you can always trust him to do what he's going to do, to be right. himself. And and even Hugh Laurie at once, like you find out he's been playing him the whole time too because you could always trust Keanu to be Keanu. That's what's weird and I guess that's the point of this all is that the characterizations are not what you think they are because he's being used by two different people and the upstanding cop, the guy who was crooked and went straight and just started snitching on people, Terry Crews, is painted like the villain. And like they even plant evidence on him in a twist that was revealed later to make it look like he had gone back to being dirty again. But it's this characterization of everybody that's just, it's strange. As memory serves, Terry Crews isn't really set up for you to root against him. Like, he's kind of set up as a good guy. He's a family man. No, he's absolutely set up for you to root against him because it makes it seem like he's ratting on Keanu. Right, they, Keanu yes. used to yep. be partners. He's very much painted as the villain early on. But but for being an honest cop, right, which is kind of that, that's what I liked about it. Like, there's the twist about it. It's like somehow for me it worked to get me to empathize with the bad guys almost by accident and when they were like you know when Keanu is following is like staking out his ex-partner and he's going to break his jaw I'm like oh shit like you know, it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of like a comic book mentality like it's very realistic and it's very gritty but it's still got this streetwise comic book mentality that you would have seen in like an image comic or or a vertigo title or something it's very pulpy yeah, and we get a scene sort of straight out of the movie Cobra next when he's at the Quickie Mart and he's going to confront oh, Washington, yeah. played by Cruz. Yeah, and then the gangbangers come in and just fucking light him up. So here is the twist, right? That those guys, that is Amori in Alaska and Jay Moore, right? Not no. Jay Moore, the uh, guy from Northern Exposure. John Corbin. Okay, but it's, 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 yeah, it's yes. their friends. Yeah. Because I, I knew that when that happened, and I don't think you're supposed to. Like, you're supposed to think it's just you guys, but like, or maybe you are. It seemed like it was a setup. Like, here's what I thought the movie was going to be. And then the movie spent so much time saying, no, this isn't what it is. But it seemed to me that Keanu and his crooked cop partners, or not maybe not crooked, but like dirty cop partners, were like, we need to kill this guy. Because in the scene before in the restaurant or the diner or wherever they are, they're talking about how Terry Crews is going to take down this whole vice squad because he's got dirt on everybody. He's going to take them all down one by one. So in my head, I was like, okay, Keanu sees him where he's going. He runs in to this quickie mart he goes up to him he clearly obviously shoots him in the back to like wound him and then these two guys who see Keanu do not fire at Keanu kill Terry Crews and so I was like oh that's obviously his friends but then the whole movie it's like Keanu doesn't know that he doesn't know who those guys are, and it's not like he, it's like he was not part of the plan, which makes no sense to me. Well, he's not, and that's why I feel like Keanu's the perfect guy to be playing this, because he could pull that off. He could pull off this, like, clueless, self-absorbed... But there's a difference between, like, clueless and dumb, though, I think. And this is just, like, how do you not know? Part of me wondered that, but I put it in the back of my mind. It didn't really bother me. I mean, I didn't get it the first time. I knew something was up. It looked like Keanu accidentally shoots Washington, but... That's neither here or there. I was like, why isn't he getting shot as well? And then it took me a couple scenes to actually 
put it together. I don't feel like it's supposed to be this big, great mystery. I just feel like it's, if you get it, hopefully the movie unfolds in an interesting and intriguing way that you weren't expecting. You know, that you'll get from A yeah. to B, but you will divert in ways that you didn't in other similar types of films. And I think that's why I didn't like this, is because the way that I read that scene was so clearly Keanu is in on this. And so then when ultimately the twist was confirmed, sort of confirmed, I mean, they never explicitly come out and say it, but at the end of the movie, they, like the three of them, bring Keanu back to their house, and they're going to like throw him in that body ditch outside and kill him. I was like, okay... By the time that is confirmed that those are his friends, I was like, well, why wasn't he in on it? Like, it would have been more interesting if, like, he was in on it. Because in the whole movie, I was like, okay, so he's now got to, like, kill Captain America because he's going to, like, the whole... Because then the next thing that happens is Keanu very, very obviously is talking to everybody about, like, how many different caliber rounds did they pull out of his body? And there's so much in the movie paid to getting that bullet back. And then all of a sudden he gets a bullet back and then he's just like, I need to take out these guys who killed Terry Crews, but, like, he seems earnest about it when it doesn't make sense. You kind of need a flow chart to understand that movie. It's it's like the Always Sunny episode where Charlie has the whole Pepe Sylvia theory. That's this movie. I think it almost feels a little too, like, episodic. Like, it almost feels like three or four episodes of a cop show where, you know, the first episode introduced him as this badass and that he his um, ex-partner is ratting him out. The second one, that guy gets shot and he's trying to get the bullet back. The third one, he teams up with the FBI agent or whoever, Chris Evans, I don't remember his department. Oh, he's just in... He's IA. No, he's IA, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So he teams up with a new partner and they go out and try and find the people who set up Keanu. And then in the last episode, the final act, like he confronts the people who set him up but were trying to protect him. It's like a 2008 retelling of Night Heat, bringing Keanu back all the way <laughs> 1984 oh, or whatever, 1982? I mean, that's kind of a, a thing I was thinking about. It, it just made me feel like this could be a show. Like we could get another, like, at the end of this movie, I was like, if he doesn't throw that badge off the cliff, we could get another movie with this character. Like, he could become, like, sort of a Parker type who appears in other films or something. So there was a straight-to-DVD sequel, Street yes. to Motor <laughs> City. Clifton Powell appeared in both movies as different characters. So that's the interesting continuity of these two movies that this quote-unquote franchise and has to also, offer. also, I believe the only thing I know about Street Kings 2 is someone I know is watching it. It's set in Detroit this time. It's, a, it's an in-name-only sequel, as all T DTV sequels oh, okay. are. But Ray Liotta is doing his best Alonzo Harris thing, and apparently he gets introduced dressed up as, a, as an animal mascot for an anti-drug campaign at an inner-city school. Oh, Ray Liotta. Exactly. Mm. Well, I don't know if I'll be checking out that. I tend to only go for theatrical sequels. Oh, so do I. Another thing that I distinctly remember about this movie, and it was almost... It was laughable then, and it's even funnier now, is that we're expected to buy Cedric the Entertainer as some ruthless drug lord. I just sort of saw him as um, a, a, a guy in the neighborhood who had connections. Was he really supposed to be like... I think he was kind of like a kingpin. Sword. He was. Really? Okay, yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't... Yeah, I just saw him almost more as comic relief. We need a character here with some jokes. Yeah, some he's levity. comic relief. We have Jay Moore back from action, but he's not really in a joke. He's got the best cop mustache in the movie, <laughs> but he's not really telling any jokes. 
he's the only one that ends up living too, right? Like he ends up in the trunk of a car at the end of the movie and kind of forgotten about and never seen from again. What was he, he was having an affair with Terry Crews' wife, right? I think he was just uh, looking for the disc. Yes. Wasn't he just looking for the disc? Like, there's a video of the whole shootout, and Forrest Whitaker's like, maybe I leave this room and this disc kind of disappears, or, you know, like, do what you want with the disc, and Keanu doesn't destroy it. He keeps it and later tries to give it to Washington's wife, and she's like, I I don't want any part of this. And later he goes back. I don't know why, but Jay Moore's there, like, sort of beating her up, looking for the disc, and he gets stuck in a trunk. I remember him dying in that but it's John Corbett that I remember dying. And it's that weird moment that uh, I wanted to mention, which is it's almost like a horror movie. Like they're trying to bury Keanu Reeves and Keanu fights back. And John Corbett, he gets killed kind of like the guy in Reanimator with the shovel where he's almost decapitated with it. Oh, yeah. He takes a shovel to the head. That was, gets that was stuck on the top of the head. Yeah. Like a, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty violent death. It's Again, it's it's like a horror movie. It's very nasty. And Ayer is no stranger to making really unpleasant violence work or lacking in that. Yeah, I think the I don't know. There's just something like in the moment about that that was that worked for me. And I liked how the two people impersonating Fremont and Coates ended up in the same shallow grave as the real Fremont and Coates yeah. at the end of that scene. That was yes. kind of fun. So there's actually three Fremont and Coates in this, which is the yeah because there's the dead ones that we never see as living people there are common and the other guy the game is it the game yeah I game common uh, no, the, and uh, doesn't the game. the game introduces them okay no it's, yeah, it's common and someone else because the game is in this all sorts of rappers common will return in john wick yes. chapter two but common and the other guy are the guys who are pretending that they were them but still aren't right. them and then the people who were sort of also pretending that they were them and planted the evidence wait did they plant the evidence mm-hmm. from the dead people or from common yeah from the, the dead, dead people, people. Yeah. How do they have that? When they killed him, they harvested their DNA, as Keanu put it. <laughs> that oh, means God. they took strands of hair and a cigarette butt and planted them at the scene. Okay. There's a lot of evidence planning in this movie, if you haven't already noticed. There's a lot of sneaking around. and Like, if this was a video game, it would be kind of like GTA or Sleeping Dogs with a lot of stealth missions, and you're constantly setting up crime scenes. Before we get to the end where there is, it sort of becomes a horror movie for a scene, can we talk about the clunkiest reveal that I can remember in any movie ever? It's in this movie? It's in this movie. Unless I miss something earlier in the in the film, which is possible, but I don't think so because the way this scene plays out. When Keanu is on his quest to get that bullet back, to sort of hide the, the fact that he shot Terry Crews in the back, he goes to the Department of Coroners or whatever, like some massive coroners building, and the autopsy guy, the doctor there, says, (laughs) I handled your wife's autopsy, which is our way of finding out that Keanu has a dead wife, and that's why he's like this haunted guy. And I was like, really? That's that's how you're going to tell us that Keanu has a dead wife? Because the guy's like, I know who you are. I handled your wife's autopsy. That is atrocious. I'll give you that. That's, yeah, I I sort of remember that. 
Let me ask you another thing. Did he need the dead wife? I no. like it because it's sort of this proto John Wick thing we're going to get into right. down the line. But he, it's so unnecessary, right? I mean, why not just make it? Why give him the? Why make it that? It, well, what's, yeah, it did what's seem crazy weird that that was his issue. is that like the way this movie is described. If you look at any logline for this movie, it's like a disillusioned LA police officer, rarely playing by the rules and haunted by the death of his wife. But he's not haunted by the death of his wife. It has nothing to do with anything. Like he's not. It's not like he wakes up in the morning and, like, looks at a picture. Like, all you need to do is put a picture of her, like, them together in that opening scene, and, like, you set something up. Either, like, you know, they broke up or she died or something. And this is where you could have benefited from Ayer doing the sort of visual storytelling he does at the beginning of the movie. Like, if you look at one of the classic on-the-edge cop movies, Lethal Weapon, the way they reveal that Martin Riggs' wife died is that he looks at a picture of them together and he's remembering that she died and he tries to kill himself, but he ends up not pulling the trigger. And we get many scenes of how they think he's faking it so he can get a psych pension and he goes off on Danny Glover the minute he meets him and they build it up and they keep it as something that he's holding on to and then they return to it at the end when he visits his grave and he's kind of accepted the fact that she's moved on then again this is not written by Shane Black so yeah and Briggs uh, became sort of like the prototypical like loose cannon partner too where I feel like they're trying to definitely ape a little of that here and and it doesn't feel necessary at all. Especially when you find out that his wife died of a blood clot while cheating on him. Like, it's not even, like, that is just, that's just so, like, everyday, ordinary, uninteresting to me that it's not even worth mentioning. Right, he... Oh, just, boy. Just leave it out. Maybe you could just classify it as depression and say, hey, he was going through something of a divorce or how about he murders people like for a living and has to see their he has one line where he's like I did it so you didn't have to see their faces at night and I mean that's kind of it didn't really go off well but that's something they could have built on and just had it been he could have had scenes like in The Departed where he goes to see a therapist and really you know there's where we start to get some revelations but the movie doesn't really have time for that because he's on the clock he's on the run it doesn't really take place over a long period of time and so I can understand why some some of that's out. It's not about that, which makes it all the more sort of awkward. It just cut it out altogether. There's no reason for it because there's enough in here just with the stresses he's dealing with from his day-to-day cop life that we don't need the haunted wife thing here at all. Like it doesn't like the fact that it's dropped in awkwardly like 40 minutes in is enough reason to say it's not needed. Yeah, you would be better off today trying to do this as a as a show on FX or Netflix. You would give it breathing room and they pack that sure. much into a movie because, you know, movies and TV work and the problem with TV is that you get a lot of wheel spinning. The problem with movies is that you only have two hours or so to build up a lot of material. Yeah, just know how to tell right. the story is the bottom line. I think what kind of comes through most for me here is that I feel like Ayer took this mediocre script and actually made something that I felt was like exciting and interesting and like no yeah I, I agree with that you know like he definitely elevated this material to something oh I I agree it's 
it's a pulpy, weird, gritty thing. It's got a lot going. I feel like he signed on because he had a lot of respect for the work. And who knows? He probably did a rewrite on the script, but not enough to get a, a credit with the uh, Writers Guild. But this is also early enough in his career that he's not like a known quantity. Like, he's not like he gets to pick projects. Well, he's the writer of Training Day, which got yeah. Denzel an Oscar, so that does give you like a lot of open Sure, that's fair. I think it wasn't until End of Watch that from the writer of Training Day was didn't have to be uh, David Ayer's identity anymore. And then he was from the director of End of Watch and the writer of Training Day. And now it's from the director of Suicide Squad. But, but hey, listen, listen, Street Kings is a better made and more concise film than Suicide Squad. I'll give it that much. And Ayer wrote Suicide Squad. But you know what? I'm going to blame that on studio interference. Because this is only the second movie he directed after Harsh Time. So it's not like he has this. I mean, because just because you're a good writer doesn't mean that you can necessarily direct. So plus Training Day was 12 years right. before. This is definitely the kind of thing as a director, though, that they give you to cut your teeth on, right? There's no real major effects. There's nothing really, no, it's... you know, this doesn't look expensive beyond the talent, right? I mean, like, you probably have to shell out a couple bucks for Forrest Whitaker and Keanu, but for the most part, like, Ayer wasn't taking home a lot for this. I mean, this was going on his resume for the most part and getting him well, the next Keanu game. Reeves probably got a good check. Forrest Whitaker probably got a pivot from his Oscar win, and Hugh Laurie got a boost because he was on house and the other people probably got varying degrees of things because you know chris evans hadn't blown up yet like i said and terry cruz hadn't become this jack of all trades doing tv or shows terry tate office linebacker right as critical as i've been of this movie there is one scene one action that is amazing that i wish i could give this movie like a hundred out of five stars for this one thing is they're chasing i don't know why this is yes. i don't know i, I don't know what's movie. going on here but Captain America and John Wick show up at this gangbanger's house, and John Wick says to Captain America, the guy who runs is the guy who's guilty. And so one guy runs away, and Cap goes and chases after him. They're in pursuit on foot, whatever. They're chasing this guy down. And somehow Keanu like kind of wraps around and takes a folding chair and throws it at this guy who's on a roof, and it hits the guy in the stomach, and he rolls into barbed wire. And I was like, that is made this whole movie worth it because that was ridiculous and that's I wish there was more of that like the fact that you have that in your arsenal that you're like we're going to do something that's not necessarily realistic in this otherwise gritty urban LA story do more like that because that that's like a that's like a cock tease that I don't want I want more of that or none of that it's the sort of thing you would have seen in a in a 70s Italian cop thriller like a grindhouse movie, something like that. It's weird, and it just happens. And you put that in tandem with John Corbett getting his head split open by a shovel, which is something out of a Fulci film. You're in for good time with moments like that happening consistently throughout the film. Recently, this sort of thing was done better in terms of like, hey, we're, we have a bunch of really big actors in a really complex plot. And that was Triple Nine last year. No, that's no, not a good it movie, is. Though. It's Grand Theft Auto Five, the movie with Woody Harrelson as it's Trevor not, Phillips. It's oh, not good. It's a, it's the best Grand Theft Auto movie ever. Yeah, but that's not saying anything. But it's, but it's better. Like the cast is more well rounded, and you have 
an Oscar winner in Kate Winslet and a right about to be an Oscar winner in Casey Affleck, who's really good, and Chewittle Edge of Ford, all these people that are just really reliable and it's messy, but you accept it. And I got out of the theater and it was really sleazy and I wanted to take a shower and I thought, you know what? This is the kind of movie, if this was floating around David Ayer's pile of scripts, Training Day would have been made, and he would have written a movie like Triple Nine, and it would have been made. And they would have gotten Ed Norton in the in the lead, and Don Cheadle would have been in it, and it would have been like a Joel Silver production where he was trying to get DMX in a prime role, and he ends up being in the role Anthony Mackie played. I just think Street Kings is kind of going for that whole thing. It's in that same sleazy, hyper-real, it's not gangster rap, but it kind of is. It's it's whitewashed gangster rap cop movie. It's that. That's what it is. I feel like without Ayer, this is a much more garden variety, by the book, boring procedural. And I think like he's bringing in things like the shovel to the head and the twisted up in the barbed wire. Like That's his sense of humor. And I feel like that comes when those moments hit, they come through the most because they feel the most honest from him from his side like there's one thing early on Hugh Laurie drops some line about Keanu and liking phone books and then later in the movie he takes the phone book to uh, some guy's head like over and over and over again like that scene was good too even Captain America was like Jesus take it easy like come on aren't you supposed to ask but him a see, question if Captain first? America saw somebody do that he would say the same thing in a Marvel movie but I mean even his character in this disco is the most straight laced by the book we get and even he was trying to cover up stuff for Keanu at times because he was told to. Like, uh, it's all about sort of finding your moral compass. Right, and he gets killed, obviously. Right, because he tried to do the right thing. So, so this is this is stupid. This is another stupid scene. It does have one really great line, which common. I think it's common says, who are we, detective? We're straight nightmares. I was like, ooh, that's cool. So you know who I am, and I know who you're not. If you're not Fremont and Coates, then who the hell are you? Who are we? Detective. We straight nightmares. We are walking, talking, exigent circumstances. But then we find out later that they are former Los Angeles Sheriff's Department's officers who went so deep undercover that Keanu says something like they lost their fucking minds or something like that. And they just sort of fall into this world of corruption and crime and drugs and everything. And Captain America in the stupidest moment in the movie is like, oh, I know who these guys are. And they both blow him Yeah, You are in a den of crime as police officers, like, they're not undercover. They're like, hey, we're crooked cops or whatever. Like, they, they come in under the guise that they are police officers. It's... And he's like, oh, I know who these guys are. And they shoot him. No, no, wait. I know these guys. Of course that's a dumb idea. What are you doing, Captain Yeah, it's, it's, it's a kitchen sink movie. There's so much going on. It's like, oh, by the way, oh, by the way. 
Well, I thought that the Chris Evans death, it was goofy. It could have been done better, but I felt like him dying was set up earlier because his job is to sit at a desk and interview people who are snitching on cops, basically. Right. And that's yep. his job. And so he's not used to being in the field. Like, you'd see a couple times where Keanu's like, you know, check those guys, check those guys, and he's telling gangbangers to back the fuck up and kind of losing it a little bit here and there. So he, I got that he wasn't used to being in the field, and Keanu even tells him you could stay behind and this, and he gives him every option, and I'm like, oh, that's when you know he's going to die because, like, it's his decision to go with Keanu. Shouldn't we roll with backup? Fuck backup. What? Why? What do you think is going to happen tonight? You think I'm going to throw the cuffs on these boys, drag them back to the barn and write it up? Here's the deal. I'm going out there, and you're going home. And we're never, ever going to discuss any of this again. What? What do you mean? It means Fremont and Coates never existed, and we never met. I'm not going home tonight, Tom. Look, Paul, this thing you want, that you think you want, you don't want. You don't know who I am or what I want. Who are you to judge me? You want to be a gunfighter, huh? Yeah, the moment is kind of like the moment in the morgue. It's it's not handled well. It's it could have been done a lot better. But I I kind of and again at the time in the moment I bought it. I was going with it, and it didn't bother me as much. That scene also does lead us to sort of the second and final John Wick moment where Keanu is using a gun to shoot out all the lights. He shoots out both TVs. He shoots out lights. He then really coolly pulls out a flashlight and blinds the one guy because it's the only light in the apartment now. And he shoots that guy. And then he uses the refrigerator as a moving shield to get up on Comet and then shoot Comet ostensibly in the head. We don't see Comet actually die, but, I mean, he gets real up in his face and shoots him over the top of the refrigerator. So that's a cool scene. Like, once Captain America dies in that scene, that gets cool. But him actually dying is just like, oh, like, they just need things to get crazy. Because they're like, look, everybody here has to die except for Keanu so that Keanu can then be set up for these, these deaths or whatever. But the way that they get there is just forced. But that's also kind of like a John Wick thing, shooting out the lights and then blinding him with a flashlight so he can shoot him. Again. No, that's yeah. what I said. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I'm not. I'm saying that's cool. I'm saying getting to right. that point is bad. Yeah, it's a mess. It's all over the place. But I enjoy it. Like, what would make that better? Isn't there? Tons of examples that I'm not going to name, but have that scene, instead of being like four minutes long, make it 12 minutes long and make it like quiet and just like tense. And then, you know, Captain America doesn't like blurt out, hey, I know who you guys are. Like he just does something wrong and that's why he gets shot. You know what I mean? Make it so that there's more tension there as opposed to just be like, oh, I know you. You're the L.A. Sheriff's guy. Right. He should die in the shootout. Like, it should be more like the scene in the basement in Inglorious Bastards where he accidentally yeah. signals wrong and the exactly. jerk picks up on it. Right. And something should be going on where he's like, these guys are cops. Reach for your guns. Or yeah. I think, see, I go back to my point that this was something that was in development for years with Elroy writing this high profile script and it went through the ringer with directors. And I think if they had gotten somebody who was worthy of Elroy's talents, like if they had gone to Oliver Stone or Spike Lee. James Elroy, this is on IMDb. He wrote the screenplay. 
inspired by the O.J. Simpson trial. So he was just like, I want to highlight corruption in L.A. And so, like you just said, Spike Lee and Oliver Stone were both at one point attached to direct, as was David Fincher, and Sean Penn at one point was attached to star, and all of that fell through. And so then, like, 12 years later, we get this movie. I don't remember Fincher's name coming up. It's on IMDb. No, I don't, but I don't remember him being discussed as, like, one of the possibilities. I remember Oliver Stone coming up. I remember Spike Lee coming up. And I think all three would have done it better justice. I also think someone like Michael Mann could have done it better. Or you get the, the grand maestro of James Elroy adaptations, Curtis Hansen who would have made it really classy and they could have gotten Brian Helgeland to do a rewrite on it and it would have been golden. But what we ended up with, it's good. It's nothing I own, but say it shows up on HBO Go or Netflix in the next year or so, I might say, you know what? I'm going to get this another shot. I thought that this was, uh, it was like the perfect movie to do right after The Lake House. Maybe that was part of why I accepted it Ugh. better because like we just came off watching that movie and there's very few science fiction time travel movies that I don't like, but that is certainly one of them. And this one I did like. Like Maybe it's not as good as I'm making it out to be but I think it's better it's than a lot of stuff that came out around this time that tried to do cop stuff. Like, I think it's some of the better cop action drama stuff. See, that's, that's, that's where it, it, you sort of fall into this rabbit hole, that if you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of 2008, maybe, I don't know. But now in 2017, like, it's recent enough that I'm not going to put on my let's pretend Citizen Kane was made today. Like, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not like well, that. I still like, think it holds up today. Well, I mean, I'm saying I it, think, it holds up, but it's not I good. Th- I still think it's good. I still think it's better than, uh, than movies like this coming out now. I think it's more successful. I think it's better than than a lot of David Ayer's other movies. I think it's better than than Sabotage and Suicide Squad. Well, Sabotage is bad, and Suicide Squad is not good. I don't think it's as good as End of Watch, which has two really fucking great performances, and the episodic format works in that movie. Like, End of Watch is very prestigious. It's almost like what the Hurt Locker did for the military, End of Watch did for the police. Yeah, that's really good. I think my favorite of his, though, is still Fury and probably forever will be. That's what yeah, I Yeah, those, those two are with. great. Fury is good stuff. Best job I, I ever had. Honestly, honestly, I think Shia LaBeouf is the weak link in the cast in that movie. He's the weak link. Get the fuck out of here. All right, we're done. Know. I would, I would done. call him the glue. We, we talked about Fury for an hour for Shia, so I want to get back to this because we get too off track right. sometime. So we all of these twists and turns in this film lead us to the very end where Keanu realizes that Forrest Whitaker is sort of the mastermind and that Terry Crews was working to bring him down instead of just the oh, entire crew. Oh, it's such a fucking and dumb we, scene. It's really dumb. And we get there and he handcuffs Forrest Whitaker to a railing and then tears out this wall and there's millions of dollars and dirt on literally everyone plus dirt on everyone in Los Angeles which is like it's all the cops it's all the politicians it's everybody Forrest Whitaker's like you know you can use it like we're we're in this together and then Keanu shoots him and then Dr. House shows up and he's just like I've been using you all along to bring him down like we're good man we need you and then the movie ends they set up for a sequel almost 
But there's nobody alive. Everybody's dead. Well, they dead. could bring back Hugh Laurie. They could bring back Keanu Reeves. Keanu's alive, right? Exactly. I mean, I don't feel like it's as flat as you just revealed it all to be. It's not that flat, but it's close. I just wrote down my only note. That's a lot of money and stuff in Forrest Whitaker's wall. Then I wrote down his quote, which was, this is my power. This is my crown. I'm the king of secrets, Tom, which is so stupid. This is my power. This is my crown. I'm the king of secrets, Tom. I know what city councilman is doing lines. I know who likes boys. I know who's selling contracts. I know who, who's beating his wife. I own them. Even the cheap is in my pocket, Tom. How do you think that I've been able to protect you all these years? What do you think it is that you're doing? All these missions. How do you think that you're able to touch the untouchables? I'm gonna be cheap. I will be cheap. I will be mad. This is our world, Tom. So let's take it. And then my last note was just dumb ending, period. And then that was And it. I feel like that's a classic Forrest Whitaker line. Like he delivers it in a way that only Forrest Whitaker can <sighs> sell it. Well, his performance in this movie, to me, I think he's the best thing here. To me, hes he knows exactly what movie he's in. I really like what he's doing in this movie, and I feel like this ending that is... All of this stuff is stupid and dumb and whatever, but it's elevated <laughs> and heightened to a, a hyper-real level, and I feel like he's helping it pull it pull that off. Like, it's a moment like the violence, right? Like, I feel like it works for its absurdity. We're here at the end, and it's the revelation thing, but it's Forrest Whitaker as the bad guy, and I, I'm enjoying it for the performance. I'm realizing it's bad writing, but I still feel like it works for me. So I realize in this movie, and I know he's had roles that don't fit this scheme, but when I think of Forrest Whitaker, every character I think of is basically the same one. He's in a position of authority, he's a higher rank than our main guy, and he's always the guy who's like, I'm going to bail you out of trouble, but just imagine if this happened. It's always the same thing. Like, imagine if I walked in with a chief right now. Like, you guys are good, but, like, imagine if that happened. And I feel like that's what he does in every movie, and he does it really well, but it's just the same thing in everything. Like, that's that's what I think of. That's my residual self-image of Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker movies from the 2000s and onward, because he's not like that in the crying game. He is... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Ghost Dog, he's got a few different... Yeah, it's not all the time, but, like, for the most part, I hear what you're saying. Like, he gets typecast most definitely, and that's because he does play he those does. roles. He does, and he plays really them well. well. And I, yeah, and I think the idea here is we have a bunch of actors, like, playing the bad guys who generally don't really play very bad guys, right? So there was a little bit of that going on here. Like, Forrest Whitaker is sort of this face you can trust. And, like, when he says he'll get you out of trouble and not to worry about it, you believe him and you sort of accept that. That is the kind of guy you need in a role like this. You need somebody who's comfortable, that you're comfortable with and familiar with and can trust, but then he's playing a guy who's the And all due respect, I smelled him being some kind of villain from a mile away about three quarters of the way through. Like, I could could tell that he was not going to end up making it to the end either alive and or a good guy. 
well, how did you ever guess that in a movie where literally everyone is a dirty cop? It's kind of like the Kurt Russell movie Breakdown, where he's the only good guy, and he doesn't realize that everybody's a bad guy because he's kind of stupid because he's looking for his wife. So it's this movie. Yes, it's very similar to that movie, and that's a good movie. My final thought about this, I think that with David Ayer attached, it becomes semi-watchable. Without him, it would be unbearably unwatchable. I still don't think this is a good movie. This is not a movie that I want to see again. I would, I guess, sort of maybe rewatch it, but probably not. But I think he does elevate it. It's just terrible, terrible writing. It's actors trying to do the best they can, but it's just a convoluted mess, and it just doesn't work. And that's my final say on it. Mike Mamsey, what do you have? Uh, any other notes, any other thoughts about Street Kings? Well, I'm not going to say the exact opposite of what you just said, but um, my sentiments are close. Like, I don't feel like this is as broken as you do. Like, I, I think you could have had someone else direct it and maybe it would have been even better. But a lot of people would have made this a lot worse for sure, definitely. The writing isn't great. It feels, you know, there are three writers. It feels like there's good and bad writers attached to this that makes it uneven. But in the long run, I do like it. I feel like it's working for me. Um, if it's a bad movie, I can't see it because I like it. I don't know what it is. I've seen it twice now and I would I would probably watch it again. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm jonesing for Keanu like in a cop movie. Maybe it's because I just like the energy of it. I like the whole L.A cop feel that it has going on definitely i'll give you like all of its problems like it has those problems but for me the pros outweigh the cons enough to sit down and turn it on it's okay it's a perfectly watchable experience of a film i don't think it's high up on my radar of the most underrated movies of the last 10 to 20 years i don't think it's the best work of any of the people involved careers, especially James Elroy, who pretty much disowned himself from the get-go after what they did to his script. If you're looking for a James Elroy movie, watch LA Confidential, or watch the James Woods movie, Cop, which is sleazy in the 80s, and it's more focused than this. But I remember seeing it in the theater. I liked it. It sort of faded from my conscience other than the fact that there were some scattered moments that I found amusing like the shovel and the opening scene and Forrest Whitaker vomiting his overacting spiel at the end and just the overall energy of it. It's it's decent. It's a David Ayer movie and it's so much fucking better than Suicide Squad. Ugh, it's it's not. I'd rather watch Suicide Squad Are than you, this. No, oh, no, no, don't, don't say, say that. that. No, it's yeah. true. No, it's true. Uh. And that's the final thing that we're going to say about it, because for all things Keanu Club, thank you, Mike, for joining us. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cage club pod on twitter you can find all the episodes that we've done for all of our shows there other shows on the network you can go back to cage club go back to the second episode fast times you can see forrest whitaker as a high school football student all sorts of weird connections here lots of great fun things at those three places i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was mike flynn and we'll see you next time on keanu club